It has been a, a wild two years. Um, I, I want to, just out of curiosity, how many of you, anyone in here that you came to Riverhouse when we were still in the dance studio? Just raise your hand. <laughs> so for those of you that never did, you missed out on a, a tiny room with uh, mirrors on three sides of the, of, what, and 100 degrees. I could see myself like seven different ways when I was preaching. I was like, I will never preach in a dance studio again the day after we leave this place. Uh, you know, we, uh, we started about two and a half years ago um, as a group of about 12, um, basically just praying uh, and being together, sharing stories, and, um, and then that was kind of the in the womb season, and then uh, we officially had our birthday on November 4th. Uh, two years ago, and so it's it's been a wild ride and a very blessed experience to get to watch God um, birth this ongoing and progressive miracle called River House. And I just want to honor all of you and thank you for being a part of this because truly, uh, this is a people movement. Um, this is all about people. It's not about the organization. It's not you know the staff have laid down their lives in many ways, but so have you in different ways and. Um, this all exists um, because you've said yes to Jesus, and so thank you. I just want to honor you and, uh, and really honor Jesus for the work that he's done in creating this community. Um, I've been trying to kind of step back and behold uh, with greater clarity and gratitude, I guess, what the Lord's really done, and I've been, had a few moments just in the last weeks, so just like, wow, I'm in awe of all that you've accomplished you know, and there's like multiple churches I know that they, uh, they're like, man, we, we, watch, we watch you guys from afar, other places across the country. And they're like, <laughs> what God's doing in your church. I'm like, really? Like, tell me more. Tell me more. <laughs> but, you know, we, we are just blessed. Uh, we're blessed to get to be a part of this work that God has started. And I think that anybody that's been here for any amount of time, I think, can know. And it's easy to identify that what's taking place here is only God. It is God creating his church, and we get to play a part. So as Richard Gordon, our, uh, our friend from South Africa, said, your bums are in the butter. <laughs> and that was the biggest botch of a South African accent ever. <laughs> so I'm yeah, glad that's not on Facebook Live, because sometimes Richard watches. <laughs> All right, well, um, we're going to read uh, a few verses out of Philippians tonight, so you can uh, turn your Bibles there, and, and we'll read a few together, and I am going to share uh, some vision for where I, I, I just feel the Lord beckoning us, and in some ways it's not new, but I think in some ways it will be a, at least a, a fresh perspective on the heart posture that God is wanting to cultivate amongst us as a church and I'm not going to rah-rah with some big cry of all the things we need to do externally because, frankly, they're all happening externally. Um, but yet I feel the Lord wanting to protect us and actually equip us to recognize how we steward best what's happening here and then uh, personally uh, what he's desiring to do through our lives. So. so does that sound good to you? All right, so Jesus, we just ask you to speak with clarity and conviction tonight, God, and to call us to a higher place. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. So I'm going to start actually in Psalm 16, and I'm going to build this analogy of the land tonight um, in, in, in our minds. And David is praying in Psalm 16, and he says, The Lord is the portion of my inheritance, 
and my cup. You support my lot. The boundary lines have fallen to me in pleasant places. Indeed, my heritage is beautiful to me. And uh, David's actually offering a prayer of gratitude for God's provision of the land, of his portion of land within the promised land. Does that make sense? So the Jews, they received each by name, by family, they received land uh, within the promised land of Israel. And it's this prayer of gratitude. God, thank you. The boundary lines have fallen to me in good places. Um, And, you know, a Jew would have recognized that receiving their inheritance in the land was a restoration of what was lost in Eden. Right? So Adam and Eve were given land to be fruitful, multiply, create a family, and then extend the boundaries of this garden to fill the whole earth. Right? And so as a Christian today, um, we've also, we can also pray the boundary lines have fallen to me in good places as it pertains to the, the, the church. Right? So Jesus actually came and fully redeemed what was lost in the garden when he says now, instead of just creating this garden in paradise on the earth, and that was like forfeited by sin, now I've called you a people by my name, I call you my church, and I've given you the power to actually go and transform the nations with the message of the kingdom so that the kingdom of God comes to earth and the places where there's pain and depravity and degradation and systemic suffering, you can bring transformation. Amen? You following me? So the church, we have been given as the church, as the people of God, we've been given a spiritual inheritance. We could almost say a spiritual land that God has given us, a place to cultivate, a, a, a mission to fulfill in the earth, right? And we need to receive this identity, this inheritance from the Lord with gratitude and cultivate it in such a way that we fulfill the mandate, right? That's what we're put here for. And I want to offer some thoughts tonight uh, about uh, how to be faithful in stewarding the land that we've been given, spiritually speaking. Um, Rob McCorkle, when he was here a couple weeks ago, uh, it was a small group of people, and I asked him a question. I said, Rob, you've been in ministry a lot longer than me. I said, I'd like to know what wisdom do you have for me uh, and for us how um, to best Uh, empower us, like how we can ensure longevity within this movement. And he kind of sat on it for a minute, and he looked at me, and he said, beware, there's a dangerous addiction to fruit bearing. And he expressed in that sentiment something I think that I'd been pondering for a while, but he articulated it with clarity that allowed me to really, you know, sink my teeth into it, this dangerous addiction to fruit bearing and so I've been pondering in light of that, okay, God, what is this, uh, this addiction, and, and, and what does that mean, and how do we, we guard ourselves from this as a church that is experiencing great success, right? Because I think oftentimes success is a greater inhibitor for me being in a vital, desperate place with the Lord than pain is, right? Pain, in a way, I almost naturally am inclined to, to suffer with the Lord because I need Him, but how do I need him in the same capacity when I'm experiencing fruitfulness, right, success? And we as a church, just generally speaking, there's, of course, pain, incredible things. And, and, and I'm not saying that it's this bed of roses all the time, but we've experienced incredible success. We've experienced God moving in ways that are, um, you know, I, I've heard story after story after story. We've been praying for decades for this, and we finally found it here. You know, so, so how, how do we navigate this terrain that the Lord's actually given us to, to navigate, right, and to steward? 
And in light of this thinking, I had a dream, and I felt strongly that I was to share it with the church because it was for the church. And in the dream, I was at a PGA Tour event. I was standing on a hillside, and I was watching uh, the players tee off the tee box into the fairway. And all of a sudden, as I was watching, I noticed that the golf course was just just getting drowned all of a sudden with water. And it was just, it started, it was like all of a sudden just water was everywhere. Then I looked and where the fairway was supposed to be, this river just started like ripping through, like, whoa. And that just started just digging up all the dirt in the course. And it was just like breeding destruction. And I was like, what is happening right now? This is crazy. And then in the dream, the architect, like the original architect of the golf course came and stands before me. And I knew it was God. And he looked at me with pain in his eyes, and he said, they ruined the land, Jordan. He said, they ruined the land. And then I, in the dream, I had this, I could have this picture where I could see the, the land, and it was just this flowing landscape before any man had touched it, just this beautiful hillsides. And, and then the architect said, he said, when I built this golf course, he said, I built it to accentuate and reveal the beauty that was already within the land. He's like, I, I, I built it alongside and with the land to, to reveal it. He's like, but the people that came after me came with their own vision and their own ambition. And they pushed the land to a place that it could not, it could not support and they destroyed it. And with pain in his eyes, he said, they ruined it. They ruined it because they couldn't see what I saw. They didn't know what the land was for. And I woke up from the dream. And as I've been pondering, uh, it was very clear a few things to me. And the first was that uh, the land, um, the land, God was speaking of the church. Uh, He was speaking to us, uh, to Riverhouse. He's given us land, right? He's given us an inheritance. The boundary lines have fallen to us in good places. Our bums are in the butter. (laughs) You can laugh. It makes me feel a little more funny when you laugh. Even if it's pity, I take it. It really registers the exact same for me as if it was really funny. So anytime you're like, you know, I just want to support Jordan, just laugh. Thank you. Gosh, I feel like a better preacher already. Right, so we have received an inheritance here. We've received a land. And uh, we're also positioned as a church... Right, so we, we, we have an idea of the, the vocation that we've been given, right? The purpose of the church. It's to transform nations. We know the Great Commission. We know these things. And then we're also positioned where we're 2,000 years into the story of the church and the earth. And we are, can, are poised where we can look out and we can see expressions of great fruitfulness, right? We all know churches or worship movements or prayer movements or whatever it is that are bearing great fruit in the earth, Right? They've, you've, been, you've experienced them. You all have preachers or podcasts or whatever that you've listened to. Fruit in the earth, right? And then also we are this entrepreneurial community with a lot of people passionate about engaging with the marketplace in a meaningful way to bring transformation, right? Which means we're also looking out and we're seeing a lot of expressions of fruitfulness in business and government and everything, right? In, in different type of things. And so what I feel like is that we are positioned, right, as the church where we've been given an inheritance. We know what we're called to do. We know we're called to bring transformation. But the warning is do not get so captivated by the expressions of fruitfulness, right? You have to keep your eyes on the original vocation of who you are as the church. Because if your eyes are on other expressions of fruitfulness, you'll start coming with your own agenda, Right You're, to drive and push and manipulate to create something that's not authentic to the original to the to the inheritance that we've been given as a local church in Boise, Idaho. That makes sense. 
So we're not trying to mimic another church. We're not trying to mimic another movement. We're trying to discern who are we supposed to be as Riverhouse Church in Boise, Idaho, a house that's called to influence nations. Are you following me? So I want to talk a little bit about what is the original vocation, right? What is the, the calling that God has given us as a church? And when I say vocation, that's a fancy word, um, but there's not really a substitute, but it means this. It means where do your unique gifts, talents, passions intersect with the, with the suffering world's greatest needs, right? So it's, it's, it's your purpose on the earth, okay? So... When I talk of vocation and open up this topic, um, Philippians 3 always comes to mind first. And I'm just going to read a few verses that you can read with me if you're in Philippians. And we're going to read chapter, uh, in chapter 3, and I'll just read verse 10 through uh, 14, I believe it is. And this is Paul speaking. He says that, I may know Jesus and the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of his sufferings, being conformed to his death in order that I may attain to the resurrection from the dead. Not that I've already obtained it or have already become perfect, but I press on so that I may lay hold of that for which also I was laid hold of by Christ Jesus. Brothers and sisters, I do not regard myself as having laid hold of it yet, but one thing I do, forgetting what lies behind and reaching forward to what lies ahead, I press on towards the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. Right, the upward call of God. Right, I want the upward call of God expressed in my life. Right, I yearn to see the upward call of God expressed in this community. And I believe that this is a church that is hungry to see the same thing. Right? We want the fullness of God. And I would define the upward call of God, simply put, as a life of fullness and a life of fulfillment. Right? When I die, literally, I, I think about this. When I die and I, I breathe my last breath and I close my eyes on whatever day that happens to be, I want to do so void of regret. Right? I want to look back and say, I left nothing in this life. I gave it all. I want to fulfill the purpose for which I was put on the earth, a life of no regret. That fascinates me, that grips me, it motivates me. I despise mediocrity. I hate it with a fervent passion. It is not of God. We are created in the image of a great God. And so we are formed to dream great dreams and do great things and shake the world. Right? Mediocrity has no place in your life. It has no place in the church of Jesus Christ. It has no place. Right? We are made for the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. I will die a thousand deaths before I live one life marked by mediocrity. And I yearn for that for this church. I, I will lay down my life to see this church put into a position where we are poised to grab hold of that for which Jesus laid hold of us. I'm serious about this. But if we're to, so the question then should be is how do we realize this? Right? How do we, we, we grip this? With a white knuckle grip. How do we lay hold of it in such a way that we never let it go and it's never taken from us? All right, we have to understand what is the purpose of the land. To go back to the dream. What is the purpose of the land? The inheritance that God has given. Fallen to us in good places. What is the purpose 
of the inheritance that God has given us in Christ Jesus. And I'm talking to Riverhouse Church tonight. Right, so to do this, uh, the Lord took me back to the land. He took me back to the garden. And three things become very clear about why humans, what, what it looks like for humans to live a fulfilling existence on the earth. Right, and sometimes I actually think we hyper-spiritualize this and we'll say things like, you know, Jesus, it's just all Jesus. You just have a really, really good relationship with Jesus. That's all you need. And that has a lot of truth in it, but it's, it's not entirely true, right? Because God put us in a garden. He walked with Adam. They had perfect communion. They walked in the cool of the day. They talked like friends, right? There was an unbroken communion, and yet God looked at Adam and said, it's not good for you to be alone. I'm going to put you in a community. I'm going to create Eve, marriage, family, right? So we need family. We learn in the garden. And then also, God... God created Adam. They had a perfect relationship. He created Eve. They had a, a marriage that was not affected by sin. And yet God said, now be fruitful and multiply and fill the whole earth. Gave them a really, really arduous task to fulfill. <laughs> it's like, whoa, slow down, cowboy. See, that was one of those fake laughs. Right, so work. God gave us in the garden before sin, gave us a relationship with himself, gave us a relationship with people, family, gave us a relationship with the land, work, ministry, calling, vocation. And I would just suggest to you tonight that to live a life of fulfillment, you have to have all three of those things. Meaning the upward call of God, it looks like this. It's a dynamic, intimate connection with Jesus Christ. It's laying down your life for your people. And it is producing abiding fruit that will carry on a legacy for generation to generation. All right, so that is what it means. It's very simple. It applies to every human. That is what will breed fulfillment in your life. It's a dynamic intimacy with Jesus Laying down your life selflessly for other people and producing a legacy of fruitfulness that abides beyond your years on the earth. So that's, that's the upward call, but it's not necessarily easy to fulfill because there is only one way to do so. And before I do go there, I just want to, you know, so relationship with God, prayer, relationship with people, family. Relationship with the land, mission. That's, that's River House. Prayer, family, mission. We are going after a fulfilling existence as a community. Right? But there is, and, and they're in that order too. It's descending order. It all starts with Jesus, people, land. Jesus, people, land. God's ways are simple, but actually doing them can be quite difficult. And this particularly is difficult because there is only one path. There's only one way that you can take that will lead to the fulfillment of these things. You are not capable of fulfilling the upward call by yourselves. You need God, and, there's, and, and it's the path of Jesus, which is very clearly articulated also in Philippians chapter 2. And so we have to look at the upward call and the context with which it's written. And the, whole, the context of Philippians is that the central axis of the book, the point that Paul uses to revolve everything else around, is chapter 2 when he starts speaking of Jesus. He says, although he existed in the form of God, he did not regard equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself, 
taking the form of a servant, being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. And now check this. For this reason, because he humbled and emptied himself, God highly exalted him and gave him the name above every name so that every knee and every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. You say, well, that's great. That's Jesus. Like, Jesus is awesome. Yeah, Jesus sets, or Paul sets this up, and then he actually builds his own story around this poem, and he's trying to demonstrate to the Philippian church that I am a living reenactment of this Jesus story. All right, and we forget sometimes that Paul writes these words rotting in the bottom of a Roman prison contemplating his own execution. He says at one point in the book, I can only send Timothy to you because he's the only one of kindred spirit that will be faithful. He's abandoned, he's persecuted, he's crushed, he's perplexed, he's rotting in a prison cell, contemplating if he's about to be executed or if he's gonna get released. And he's saying, look, I'm, I'm emptying myself. Right? I'm, I'm, I'm following the footsteps of Jesus and the footsteps of Jesus is the path of downward mobility. And Paul's modeling this, not just so that he can show how spiritual it is, but he's calling the Philippian church, which is a church experiencing persecution, to say, follow me on the same path. Empty yourself. Humble yourself. Go lower still. Follow me. Follow Jesus. This is the way. And he's not just saying it to the Philippian church, he's saying to us tonight, River House, follow the path of Jesus. Follow the path of downward mobility. Right, we live in a world, that's not the message. The message is go perform really well so you can get upward mobility. Do a great, make money, show yourself, prove your worth, man. Then you'll get status, you'll get promoted. And the kingdom is just like, upside down. Downward mobility. Give it all away. Go low. That's the path to fulfillment. Now, I was, we get amens. I got amens there, all three services. But I want to stop you before your mind goes. Because where our mind will go is like, okay, great. You serve people. You're going to call us to serve people. No, that's not what I'm calling us to tonight. And it's actually not that simple. Because each one of us in this room, you know you have done something that looks humble on the outside. Because you were getting something on the inside. Right? It, you, you can serve and do things that look so spiritual, but they're meeting a need. They're making you feel significant, making you feel special. You like getting recognized for those things. Right? And what I'm talking of is that there are insatiable desires within the human concept. We're actually created and formed with them, and I don't think they're bad desires, but they are insatiable thirst for recognition and significance. We want to be seen, we want to be known, and we want to know we're special. Right, so a lot of times we take this message, yeah, Jesus was humble, he served, and we try to apply it to our actions instead of start, starting to contemplate and recognizing what do I have to do with these desires? How do I steward this thirst to be recognized, this thirst to be seen, this thirst to be powerful and significant? What do I do with those things? Because if we don't deal with these things in a healthy way, they will stand as guards and keep us from the path of downward mobility. And the reason is because we will try to go low, but no matter what we do, our self is always still flaring up, 
still need to be seen. I need to be known. I need to be special. I need to, I need, I need the credit. It's these desires that make fruit bearing so potentially addictive. Because the world celebrates outer appearance. The world celebrates beauty and fame and sex and power and influence. And those things are not bad things. God created them all. Right? But, but the world fixates on them. And the flesh, man looks at outer appearance. God looks at the heart. The flesh, the fallen, sin-corrupted nature within us, it gravitates to these things right? as means of bringing fulfillment. Right, and, and I can prove that to you in that, like, how many of you, you know, you've watched the tabloids or you've read the articles about, like, the celebrities or the famous athletes or the people that are miserable? Right, and everybody says, oh, money doesn't make you happy. You know, like, we, we, right, we agree with that. Right, we say, oh, wow, like, I just read this article that, like, depression is rampant amongst the NBA. And, you know, read these, I've read, you know, articles about Tiger Woods, how much he struggled. And you're just like, dude, you're Tiger Woods. Right? And it's like, oh, yeah, all those things don't bring fulfillment. And yet there's still something inside of us that wants those things. Are you following me? It's like the, the, the flesh in us, it's like, yeah, I know, but, like, but there's still something in me that wants it. I still need that. that that's, that's got some I need. Right? So this is deeply ingrained within us. Stuff that we're... Right, and we're, if we're honest, there's all there's parts of of any stuff that we're, we're, each of us resonates. Some people it's different. Everybody's got their different thing, but there's things that we resonate to because they're not bad things. They're good things, but they're never meant to fulfill us. Right, and for me, it's power and influence, bar none. Those are the things. Those are the things that that I that I want. And have had had a long journey of trying to, how do I steward that? How do I steward these desires in light of being a preacher of the gospel and a leader in the church? Right? And sometimes I think we excuse the church and Christians and we're like, oh, yeah, no, we're different. We're in the world, but we're not of the world. We don't deal with that stuff. That is bull. <laughs> right? We need to pull our heads out of the sand if you think that's the case. The same temptations in the ministry, in whatever we're doing, want to come up and rile up that I'm doing this to prove myself somebody. Right? The ambition and the self-promotion and the pride and the, all those things. It might look different outwardly, but we still have to deal with the same desires that the world's dealing with. Right? And it's not until the church starts wrestling and dealing with these things and doing it a different way that's bearing a greater fruit that the, church, that the world's going to start listening to us. Because we're going to have answers for what they're searching for. We're going to have a path articulated they can follow that will lead to fulfillment. Instead of dead end after dead end after dead end and chasing the carrot over and over and over and over. We're not immune. It's in the world. It's in the church. But the difference is we have Jesus. And Jesus wants to help us as a people navigate how to be people of influence and, and, and walk in power, walk with integrity, have, have influence within culture. He needs his church to influence culture, but he will not exalt us there until our character matches, right? until we're able to get there on the path of downward mobility and not climbing the ladder of self-promotion. Am I resonating? Does this make sense? 
So I believe that the true test of heaven is not necessarily what do you do when nobody's looking. It's what do you do when you start bearing fruit and people do notice. Because what addiction to fruit bearing does, it's settle. Right? So we're made for God, our people, laying our lives down, creating a legacy of fruitfulness. What the addiction does is it starts weaning us out of the presence and pushing us out into the field. And now, instead of coming to the, to the land, coming to my work, my vocation, having been filled by God, laying my life down for people, and now coming to self-empty, right? Which self-emptying is an act of creativity because I'm actually giving of something. Right now that the addiction starts weaning me, so well, I'm coming to ministry, work, calling, vocation. I'm coming empty, and I'm coming to consume. Right, and now instead of creating a garden to enjoy, I'm pushing it like a machine to try to produce as much possible because I need it to feel good about myself. And where do people fall in this? When it's God first, I lay down my life because I love them like I've been loved. But when I start getting addicted to fruit bearing, inevitably I'll start manipulating people because I need them to help fulfill me. You see this? See how subtle it is? How many in the room have you felt manipulated by people with good intentions? Right? It's because they were thwarted from the path of downward mobility because they're addicted pushed out into the land, addicted to fruit bearing. We're called to be creators that actually tend and steward a garden from joy and for joy, from fulfillment and for fulfillment. We were never made to work in order to gain some sort of an identity within society that was supposed to be the overflow of joy. And it is a part of our fulfillment, so I'm not crucifying it. Simply saying, right, we have to have alignment. We have to have eyes to see, right? And the real, the real crux, the, the pain of, of falling into this is that it blocks us from that path of downward mobility. I'm actually unable to go low and serve because I always, I have my, my expectations, my strings attached to anything I do. I need something from it. I need something from you. Does this make sense? Right? And it, it's a lot of times it's subtle. It's like really subtle. It's really small. It's like, well, most of it's good. Yeah, it'd be like, dude, you, you thirsty? Here's some water. Just a tiny bit of urine, but take it. It's great. I'm telling you, a lot of ministry, that's what a lot of ministry is. A lot of work, a lot of really good things, that's what it is. 98% pure. But I got my, I got my little, I got the little thing I need. And it pollutes it. So what's the converse? This is a birthday service. It's got to be hope, right? Converse is also in Philippians. And if you want to look, it's chapter 1, verse 21. And this, this verse, perhaps better than any other in the Bible, it gives insight into a minister, a powerful minister, right? Paul, it gives insight to his relationship with the land, right? With his ministry, with what he's called to do. And it's beautiful imagery we see here, 
right? As he's sitting in this cell contemplating if he's going to die or if he's going to continue into this powerful world-changing ministry that he's been called to, right? Don't, don't forget, this man's turning the Mediterranean world upside down. He is challenging the very power of Rome so much so they're scared of him putting him in prison, right? So, right, it's big calling. For, for me... To live is Christ and to die is gain. But if I'm to live on in the flesh, this will mean fruitful labor for me. But I don't know what to choose. I'm hard pressed from both directions, having the desire to depart and be with Christ, for that's very much better. Yet to remain on in the flesh is more necessary for your sake. Convinced of this, I know I will remain and continue with you all for your progress and joy in the faith. It's love. He's suffering. He's saying, I'm in a lot of pain. It'd be better to just go back to Jesus, be with him. But for your sake, not because I need it, but because I love you, I know I'm going to continue. But you just see this yieldedness in Paul, right? He's, he's like, yeah, die is gain. Be okay. I'm not needing anything. If he wants to take me, I'm happy. But because I love, I'll continue. Right? You see the open-handedness of Paul. It was Paul's deep connection and love for Jesus that actually empowered him to live a life of self-emptying. And for this reason, we know that God exalted Paul and now has used him in a way that he's used very few people ever. Right? Paul could have never imagined the impact of his words. Just sit on that for a second. Right, he's sitting in a Roman prison. Could he have ever imagined for 2,000 years his words would bring life and conviction and power and transformation to generation after generation after generation? If God can use Paul, he can use you. If Paul can use his words, he can use yours. Right? But Paul was reenacting the Jesus story and giving everything away. And for that reason, God highly exalted Paul. Right? God doesn't use special people. He doesn't use superheroes. He uses people that find the courage to go on that path of downward mobility. Right? They have to, they find, we find in the presence of Jesus the vision and, and, and the clarity and the insight and the wisdom that we need to be able to navigate in a way that we find it, right? It's a sacred path, right? We don't drift into humility. Like, oh, yeah, I just really want to be humble. Lord, awesome. I'm going to do to do, go with my day. No, like, humility is a pearl that must be sought after, right? It's the people that, that seek the heart of Jesus that they see. I see that path. I see that step. And it looks scary. It's probably the right one. Right, for me, this is what I've been pondering. This is practical. This is honest. It means my commitment to this church is that I won't come to you needing you to bring me fulfillment. But this is a, a garden that I get to come and lay my life down for. And pointedly, what that means is that this platform will not be one I use to build my own brand. But I get to give it away to build big people and the voices within this community that God wants to raise up. 
and this just being, you know, honest with you, when the Lord says, yeah, I want you to empower that person. I want you to empower these people. I want you to give away all these spaces. You know what my first thought is? What about me? Navigating these tensions, navigating these desires. Now, this is my journey. This is our story. Because the world screams at me. You know, it's like, Oh, Jesus, you found me. You found me here in my brokenness. You saved me out of this pit of destruction. You, you, just, you, you saved me from my addiction. You saved me from my pain. You transformed my life. All of a sudden, because of this, I'm bearing fruit. Right? This is the story that happens. Now I'm bearing so much fruit, and it's like, whoa. Why am I now in the land with the fruit all the time, and I'm never with you? Right? That's the story. That's mediocrity. That's way less than the fullness. And Jesus is looking and he's saying, when's my church just love me? First love. You know, he looked at Ephesus. He said, you've done all these great works, but you've lost your first love. You're doing great out in the field, working, 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 bearing fruit and getting a lot of affirmation for it. But come back to me. Biggest temptation I faced last year and a half. Build your own brand, Jordan. This is what you laid down your life for. This is what you worked so hard for. Now you're on this people. People coming to hear you speak. You're on this platform. You need to do this. You need to get your social media. You need to build this. You need to build your brand. This is your time. Don't waste your opportunity. Seize the moment, man. That's the message. And with trembling, I'm before you because I've already said yes in private. Many times to the Lord, but I'm saying yes to you all tonight. I'm going to choose the path. I'm going to find the path to downward mobility. I'm going to find what it looks like. I'm going to find how to just waste it all. I'm going to find how to just give it all away so that Jesus is the only name that gets exalted out of the Riverhouse Church. Right? I, and I'm asking you to follow me in the same path. So it's not my path, it's his. And I believe, I wrote this and I just want to read it to you. Is that knowing Jesus is the only way to a life of selflessness. It's worth any price we can pay because when we finally are liberated from ourselves, we find the joy of living. The upward call is a life of agape, self-giving love. Agape looks like knowing God, laying your life down for your people, and bearing great fruit that abides from generation to generation. Agape is the creative force of the universe. And if we as a people say yes to the path of downward mobility, yes to the journey of becoming self-giving love, we will fulfill the upward call and history will live to tell of it. I believe that. I believe if we say yes to the calling we've been given to be a nameless, faceless move of God, history will live to tell of a bunch of nobodies from Boise, Idaho that turned the world upside down. Why not? Why not you? Why not me? 
It will not be built on the preaching of any person in this pulpit. It will be built on the humility of each and every one of you. That is the posture of heart that breaks and shatters the limitations and the confines of the flesh, of, of, the, of, the, of the mediocrity that it's been cast upon us as a race of people. It will break it and shatter it, and we will be liberated so that God can do anything. That's my dream. That's my dream. That's what I'll pay any price to see. And I believe it. I believe that we have what it takes. And I believe that we don't even have to put our confidence in our ability to follow Jesus. We can just put our confidence tonight in his ability to lead us on that path. And so Jesus, tonight, we say yes. I say yes. Say yes, God, to the downward road. We say yes to a life of self-emptying. We say yes to a life liberated from ourselves, that we don't have to take thought of self. God, a life of knowing you, a life of healthy family. God, a life of fruitful mission in the earth. God, may we be a people that fulfill the upward call. God, we just reach out with faith tonight, God, and we just grab hold of that for which you grabbed hold of us, God, and we just, with a white knuckle grip, we just grab on to you, Jesus. Say, we're not going to let go. Just as you've grabbed onto us and you're not letting go of us, we just say, Lord, we're in this, we're in this for the long haul. God, we're signing up for the marathon, and we're not going to stop. We're just going to say yes. Day after day, God, show us what this looks like. Show us how to serve with no agenda. Show us how to self-empty, God. Show us how to deal with our desires for significance and recognition in healthy ways. Show us how to meet those needs with you. Jesus, it's all about you. And so again tonight, we just exalt you and say, you're the Lord of River House. You're the Lord and the author of this movement. You're the beginning of it and you're the end of it. And Jesus, we just, we just never want to take you off of the highest place. Keep us, I pray. Keep us, I pray, God. Keep us right here, I pray. No matter what happens or what doesn't happen, just keep us right here, I pray, God. honor and exalt and bless the name that's above every name. We say, Jesus, help us be like you. Amen. Just give Jesus honor. Yeah. Happy birthday, River House. I have a love in my heart for each one of you that's deep and powerful. And I greatly look forward, great, deeply thankful for what's taken place.
and I greatly look forward uh, to what the next 20 years look like, huh? <laughs> Hallelujah.